Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Laura Behrman. Lori runs the day-to-day operations and the mobile unit for the Toby Project. She's been with the organization since day one and considers her work not just a job, but a mission. She's a native New Yorker and currently lives in Brooklyn with her 21-year-old cat, Frances. Lori grew up in Queens, New York, and considers herself an activist in that she always has been involved in cause-related work. Whether it be a political campaign or helping people with AIDS, she truly believes in giving back and that people can make effective change at the grassroots level through hard work, commitment, and forging effective partnerships. She got involved with the Toby Project after coming back to New York from Portland, Oregon, where she spent several months working. She wanted to get involved in something meaningful and met Dr. Andrew Kaplan through his practice, City Veterinary Care. He was the vet for her two cats, and his passion and commitment to animal welfare inspired her to get involved. Fast forward 11 years later, she's an integral part of the organization's lifeblood and operations. Her role at the Toby Project encompasses many areas, but a key component is to further the mission of the organization and make effective use of the three to four days per week that the Toby Project operates. In addition to low-income pet owners in the Bronx and Brooklyn, much of the focus has been on community cats, particularly in the last year when the Toby Project has seen a huge increase in calls for help. To that end, she implemented Mobile Mondays for feral and abandoned cats by appointment with TNR-certified folks in Brooklyn. In addition, she has built effective working relationships with those doing TNR who will often do partnership days. These days are a unique and valuable service whereby the Toby Project gives the day to a reliable TNR person in Brooklyn or the Bronx, and they are responsible for filling the truck. In the past year alone, the Toby Project has done partnership days with Brooklyn Animal Action, Little Wanderers, the New York City Cat Coalition, Flatbush Cats, Fat Cats, and other organizations. In addition, Lori oversees and implements their contract with the city of Yonkers and sends the truck there on a monthly basis to do spay-neuter of community cats. This has been a much-needed free service in Yonkers and demonstrates their commitment in reducing the feral cat population through spay-neuter. Lori, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I spoke with Andy a couple weeks ago or about a month ago or so, and he's episode number 339. So folks missed the interview with Dr. Kaplan, who also runs the Toby Project. Feel free to check out that episode at the communitycatspodcast.com. But in that conversation with him, he kept referencing, oh, well, you need to ask Lori this question and you need to keep asking Lori this question. And so I knew at that moment that I wanted to get Lori on the show. So I want to thank Thank you again for joining me today, and we can talk about the nuts and bolts about everything that you know about the Toby Project and how things really run at the ground level. Before we dive into that, I'd like to just ask you, how did you get started in animal welfare and get really passionate? Were you involved before the Toby Project? 
I wasn't. I spent a few months in Portland, Oregon and the West Coast in California and basically just trying to see if that was going to work in terms of me living there. And it did not. So I came back to New York and I wanted to get involved in something meaningful. And Dr. Kaplan was the vet of my two cats. And he spoke so passionately and knowledgeable about animal welfare that he inspired me to get involved. And so I signed up to be a volunteer with the Toby Project. And that was in 2009, 11 years ago. And I have stayed with the organization since. So that was really my first involvement in animal welfare, but specifically spay and neuter. And I really didn't understand at that point the concept of spay and neuter, making New York City a no-kill city, and the amount of dogs and cats that actually are euthanized because there are not available homes. So that was my first start with animal welfare. And it's been, I have to say, an amazing 11 years. You know, you said you're beginning your education process back in 2008, Mm -hmm. 2009. And, you know, a lot has changed within New York in that period of time. Before we go into those details about the Toby Project, you know, what have you seen sort of change over the years for community cats in particular in New York? Well, I think that there is a lot more effort and a lot more coordinated effort to do TNR, to get them spay and neuter, to make use of programs like the ASPCA and the Toby Project, and really just a lot more information and coverage has been on the plight of abandoned cats in New York City. So that has definitely been a change. And also, I will say from the Toby Project perspective, our focus, particularly in the last year, year and a half, has been a lot on community cats. We've seen a huge increase in calls coming into the Toby phone for people who want help, people who recognize that cats are reproducing and it is the best thing for them as well as the community to get them spay and neutered. So you think the increase in calls is more about general popular awareness about the opportunities for trap neuter return or just that there's no other option? I mean, I think it's awareness and also there's just for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason for this, there's just seems to be an explosion in um, cats in New York, whether maybe, I mean, maybe it's the warmer weather and there's no kitten season seems to happen all year round. I'm not exactly sure what the reason is, but I know that um, from my perspective in answering the Toby phone, there has been a huge increase in calls, particularly this last year. And talking to other people who use our truck and other people who do TNR, people have just seen just an increase in cats all over the place. Cats, kittens, dumped friendlies. It's very sad. Do you feel that there's a change in the accessibility for affordable veterinary care? Has it become less affordable or are those opportunities still open to folks? Veterinary care or spay and neuter or both? I would say spay and neuter as a priority, and then the veterinary care is a secondary, but I feel that across the country, there's been a reduction in the number of dollars available for really affordable spay and neuter for various grants and that kind of thing. So I think that the dollars have dried up a bit, and that might be playing a role too. Yeah, I mean, that might be it. Certainly, there is not a lot of money for spay and neuter. I'm not really involved in the financial end of things so much. But I just know from talking to people who do TNR, for example, it's very hard to get spots. I mean, the ASPCA obviously does an amazing service in New York City, but it's difficult to get spots there. We have limited days. I think it's a combination of things and probably funding wise, there is not a lot of funds for spay and neuter. So at the Toby Project, tell me a bit about your clinic. You operate out of a truck and do MASH style clinics or are you just operating out of a truck? 
We just operate out of a truck right now. We had a stationary clinic, a spay and neuter clinic for feral cats from 2011 through 2018 through the generosity of Diana Clemente, who donated the space. Unfortunately, she needed the space back. So we lost that stationary clinic last December. So right now where sole means of operation is our mobile unit. And it operates three to four days a week, which includes some days for the community cats, or is that in addition to? That's including. So we operate Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays, sometimes an extra day. Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays is the primary days that I have staff to staff the mobile unit. Saturdays are for low-income pet owners in the Bronx. Sundays is a mixture. We have a contract with the city of Yonkers to go up there and do feral spay and neuter. So we go up there once a month and we have other contracts that usually take up our Sundays. And then Mondays are for feral and abandoned cats. Our truck is parked in Brooklyn. We also have, which I think is a really unique and very valuable service that the Toby Project provides. We have partnership days where someone who is TNR certified, who is, you know, responsible and highly regarded in the TNR world will call and book a private Toby day. And so I give the day to them and they are responsible for filling the truck and we basically come to them to do spay and neuter. And that is in, that is in Brooklyn and the Bronx. And how many cats can you do in a day? So on our truck, 20. Usually like it's a mixture of ferals and friendlies. And usually the breakdown is about 13 ferals, seven friendlies. If somebody has more ferals, let's say they have 16 ferals, then if they bring transfer traps instead of the, you know, the full size traps, we can do more ferals. But it's usually about 20 cats. At our stationary clinic, which was just an amazing thing that we had for so long, we usually did about 25, 26. But that's stationary versus mobile. Yeah, so the one key component that I discovered with regards to mobile that was so challenging is that the traps take up a lot of space. They take up a lot of space, which is why I encourage when I book the appointments and I book the appointments for mobile Mondays, I encourage people to bring them in transfer traps. I realize that cats can't recover in transfer traps, so they have to transfer them back to the regular size. But if they bring them in transfer traps, we can accommodate more feral cats on our Mondays. Yeah. When we were doing the clinic with our Catmobile, I don't believe they could take more than four or five traps at a time because we had so many built-in cages in the vehicle. There just wasn't enough room to stack them up and position them in a way where everybody was safe and all that. Exactly. If we have more traps, we have to be able to monitor the cats when they're recovering. So, you know, 22 traps would prevent us from doing that. So one thing that we did do is we worked with the city of Fitchburg and partnered with a nonprofit group and they did the watching of the recovery. We used a heated bay at the fire department. And so that was a fully feral day. So that was like 30 trapped cats. And oh, wow, just, that's great. They would just <laughs> move into the vehicle and move out. And then there were designated people watching recovery. So it was like a mobile clinic with a little mash style to it. Right. So we that's hybrid, really, hybridized that's really good. it. That was one of our workarounds because when we initially thought about the Catmobile, we were really thinking about the owned component because the organization also does mash style clinics once a month for ferals, but that seemed like there was a really big need for ferals on the Catmobile too. So we were trying to do a workaround with regards to that. So one of those things is as you are leading this up, and it sounds like you've had to over the years become more sort of inventive and willing to experiment, you're creating these partnerships with organizations. And obviously, you know, in order to make your finances meet, you need to have a certain amount of cats arrive every day. You have these partnerships with groups. I assume they meet their target numbers when they're coming to your days when they're set up. You know, is that a challenge to ensure that the right number of cats show up every day? 
No, not really, to be honest, because there's so many, so many that need, it's not a challenge. Usually like for Mondays, for example, I'll give you an example. So for this Monday, the 13th, I'm overbooked. What I usually do is I overbook because usually someone either has to cancel because they can't trap or they haven't been able to get the cat or for whatever reason. But we're only at Wednesday. And for this Monday, the 13th, I'm already booked. We have for this Sunday, for example, we're doing a partnership day with someone, a few people who do TNR in Staten Island. So we're going to have our truck parked in Brooklyn and they're going to bring the cats to us and they're already filled the truck. So honestly, it's really not a challenge to fill the truck because there's so much need and because we're not in operation seven days a week that there's usually on book days in advance. So you don't have a problem with no shows really? No. I mean, no shows rarely, very rarely do I have. I mean, someone will call me Sunday night, for example, and say, I haven't been able to trap the cat. If you can give the spot to someone else, that's fine. But no shows, no. I mean, really, do we have no shows? Even I'm from the low income pet owner side. See, the low-income pet owner is a different, so that we operate very differently for low-income pet owners. So for Saturdays, for example, when our truck is in the Bronx, we do first come, first serve. Similar to the ASPCA, where people will start lining up very early, oftentimes at 5, 5.30, because they know that we have limited spots on our truck and getting there early will increase their chances of getting their pet spay or neutered that day. So with low-income pet owners, we operate very differently than our TNR days. TNR days are by appointment, low income pet owners are first come first serve. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, it's operated very differently. We do have a contract with animal care centers in New York City for spay and neuter, and they actually make appointments for us. But with them, it's by appointment. But for our days, it's first come first serve. Hi, everybody. Early bird tickets are for sale for the 2020 online kitten conference, which will be held on June 12th through 14th, 2020. It will start on Friday night, and then it'll run all day through on Saturday and all day on Sunday. Speakers that the National Kitten Coalition have lined up are Chris Roy, Dr. Cynthia Delaney, Emily Carl, Dr. Aaron Doyle, Heather Svoboda, Michelle Lynch, Arden Moore, Kara Ludke, Dr. Karen Vernow, Dr. Linda Jacobson, Kirsten Jenke, Dr. Marty Greer, Mikkel Delgado, Monica Frendon, Nikki Harris, Simone Kellum, and Taylor Lefebvre are just a sampling of the folks that are going to be presenting during the weekend. So it's a huge lineup. It's a very exciting weekend we have. Go to www.onlinekittenconference.com. Get your tickets today at the early bird price of $50. This is a weekend not to be missed. If you can't be there, though, it's okay because there will be recordings available if you do buy your ticket early. You can get access to those recordings for about 60 days after we release the recordings. Don't miss out. Join us for the Online Kitten Conference. We'll have trivia, fun, lots of excitement. Onlinekittenconference.com. See you then. You already know that capturing and editing video of your animals is important to your social media strategy. Facebook, Instagram, and even PetFinder all allow you to embed videos to bring more attention to your life-saving work. But how can you easily get videos from your staff and volunteers into a place where you can use it? Check out RescueTube, where they've simplified the process of getting your videos and photos together in one place. Here's how it works. 
You simply generate a unique code, which your staff and volunteers enter into the free Dubert app, and the videos and photos they take are automatically uploaded to your dashboard. Imagine being able to capture recent videos and photos from all of your foster homes in one place to use on your social media and website. RescueTube is powered by Dubert, so you can keep all of your life-saving work from transports to fosters all in one place. Learn more at www.rescue.tube to simplify capturing video and photos of your animals. And what's the fees for low-income pet owners? So for people who are on public assistance, you have to be a resident of New York and show us proof, non-driver ID or driver's license. It's free. So it's free surgery for people who are on public assistance who live in one of the boroughs. And for people who are not on public assistance, it's $40 for a male cat neuter, $70 for a female cat, and $70 for a mixed breed dog. You know, we make the prices hopefully accessible to people who don't qualify for a free surgery, but who are still cannot afford full price veterinary services to get their pets spay and neutered. So we try to make it affordable for people who are not on public assistance. So that doesn't necessarily cover your costs, I would assume, because that's extremely affordable. And you're also, we're talking New York here too. Yeah. So is there, I covered a bit of this with Dr. Kaplan, but I would Mm -hmm. assume there's a lot of fundraising that goes on to help bridge the gap. Yeah, I personally am not involved in the fundraising aspect. I am, though, the liaison and primary person who deals with our major, our primary New York City funder, the New York City Department of Health Office of Veterinary Services. So how it works with them is that every month I go through our records and submit for reimbursement for those people who are on public assistance and show proof. So they essentially give us money for each surgery that you do for the people on public assistance. In terms of like the rest of the fundraising, I know that we get private donations. I'm not sure if we're, you know, applying for grants. Again, I'm not really involved so much in that aspect of things. We do have a volunteer CFO, Nicole Rector, who does a fantastic job on the fundraising end of things. That's great. That's excellent. Well, it's great to have a good team, a supportive board of directors. Let me bounce up north a little bit here and let's talk about Yonkers. Can you tell me a little bit about how that situation came about? And is it comparable to the situation you just described? Yeah, I don't know how Yonkers got to us, to be perfectly honest. All I remember is about three years ago or four years ago, we entered into a contract with them. I don't know how they contacted Dopey Project. That part of it, I'm not sure. But we go up there once a month to the city of Yonkers and do spay and neuter of feral cats. Before we actually started our contract, I took a tour of Yonkers. The director of the Yonkers Animal Shelter up there met me and she took me around Yonkers. And there are there's a huge need in Yonkers for not not just feral spay and neuter, but just affordable spay and neuter. There's virtually nothing available for the people up there. They have a small network, but very, very dedicated network of people who do TNR, and they make the appointments with me once a month. I get booked up like our next one is January 20th, and I'm already booked up. There's just a lot of cats and yonkers, a lot of dump friendlies, and just a huge need for spay and neuter. So I really commend the city of Yonkers for doing this and taking the initiative, and basically they pay us for the day to come up there. So let's talk about staffing. Do you use different veterinarians or do you have the same veterinarian that works three or four days a week and the same technicians or do you have different people every day? We have different people, but it's a rotating roster of the same highly regarded top spay and neuter surgeons and tech team. So we have different docs Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, but it's like a small, it's a rotating group of like three or four docs that we use and they are excellent. We do really have excellent teams that are working with the Toby Project. 
How do you recruit them? I, this is a big question amongst quite a few spay-neuter clinics as they find that recruiting veterinarians and technicians really challenging. Is it Dr. Kaplan is the main resource or are you out there sort of pounding the pavement and always keeping an eye out for you know potential additions? Yeah, I pound the pavement in terms of getting docs, but it's not really pounding the pavement. Fortunately for us, so the ASPCA is closed Sundays and Mondays, so we use a lot of their staff to staff our truck on Sundays and Mondays. And then Saturdays, we have a few docs that do per diem for us. Sometimes, I mean, the one day that can be a challenge is Saturdays, but generally speaking, sometimes it's a challenge. But right now, I'm in a really good place with staffing our truck for Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays. Over the years, what's been the greatest challenge in running a mobile as well as stationary clinic for you? The stationary clinic, not so much because it's stationary. Running a mobile unit, managing a mobile unit, it's always a challenge, let's say, in the winter, although we've had a warm winter, so that's been pretty easy so far. Really just the technical end of things, like the maintenance or the generator doesn't work or the autoclave is not working or just logistically speaking, running a mobile unit can be a challenge. And also, you really do have to be up early, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays, I have to, you know, generally I'm up at 536 because I need to be available for the team. I mean, it's a challenge. It's an interesting challenge. Sometimes I think, my God, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to solve this? But 11 years later, I guess I've managed to solve our issues. I would agree with you when you ask the, you know, what's the strengths and weaknesses of a mobile program? The weaknesses is that it's a mobile clinic and the strengths is that it's a mobile clinic. So exactly. it takes a lot of time to get where you need to go. And some days you're going to go in there and it's not going to start. And then you're calling right. a lot of people. And then other days you're going to get where you need to go. And you're going to have this incredible group of people that are so appreciative of the fact that you were able to drive to their town because they had to take the bus or the subway to get to you, you know, they wouldn't have been able to get their cat spayed or neutered otherwise. And, you know, then you feel all good about the fact that you made the effort to get where you needed to go. Exactly. One thing that I didn't mention is the driver. So the driver is an absolutely critical component to our team. I mean, oftentimes when you mention a mobile unit, you mention the doc, you mention the text, but the driver who on Sundays and Mondays also is frequently is the senior veterinary assistant and also the greeter is a very, very important component to the team because they are really the first face of the Toby project that clients see when they've been waiting outside since 4.30 in the morning. So I am absolutely grateful for our drivers. We have Otis on Saturdays and then different drivers on Sundays and Mondays. Roe is a primary driver and other people from the A. Really, really, really important role. So for anyone who's thinking about starting a mobile unit, the driver is critical. Not only because they need to be a good driver, but just because they need to be on time. They need to be friendly. And again, it's the first person that people see when they see our truck. So let's talk about the team specifically. So you have the driver who also acts as a a greeter, and then you have two technicians or one technician? Yeah. So we have the breakdown is a driver, a senior veterinary assistant, sometimes is the same person, sometimes isn't, an LVT, a licensed veterinary technician, and then the doc. So it is in the truck when they're doing surgery, it's three people, the SVA, the LVT, and the doc. So if someone was thinking about starting a clinic, if you were just starting out and you were in a community that didn't have a stationary clinic or other options, you know, what sort of recommendations or tips would you give them? 
I really think it's just important to talk to people who have done this before. I've actually had calls with people like in the last year, a few people, I don't remember exactly where they live, but they were thinking of starting a mobile unit. And I think, you know, we're basically, we're all in this together and we're a team and we all want the same things, regardless of where you live and regardless of how small you're starting or large you're starting. I think it's really important to network and talk to people who have done this before. I think that they can be a real valuable source of information to someone who is just starting out and also really talk to people about how much it costs because it is an expensive endeavor to run a mobile unit. And people oftentimes don't realize like how much it costs to actually run a truck you know, equipment, maintenance, all of that. So I encourage anyone who wants to start to really start networking and talk to people who have done it before. So folks are interested in finding out more about the Toby Project, how would they find you? They can email us at info at tobyproject.org. We also have a Facebook page. We're also very active on Instagram, so they can contact us any of those three ways. And Lori, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I think we've covered everything. I appreciate you giving me the time to talk about the Toby Project. And anyone that is interested in starting this or has questions, feel free to, you know, reach out. I'm more than happy to help. Yeah, I think it would be great. I I do think across the country, there are definitely some areas where we need some more spay-neuter clinics. I don't think that we're done with building enough high-volume spay-neuter and affordable spay-neuter clinics, especially for cats around the country. Certainly dogs too, but I think we still need to continue that growth rate of clinics going all across the country. So hopefully, hopefully this show will help inspire somebody to start another clinic in their community if they don't have one. But Lori, I want to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future, maybe with an update down the road of any changes that you might have. Sure. And for our listeners today, I'd like to wish everybody a happy St. Patty's Day. And if you could please consider sharing this podcast with others, the more people that are listening to this podcast, the better off we're all going to be. So please share this podcast with friends, family, coworkers, anybody and everybody. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 